I have a confession. I told Jamie this earlier today that yesterday, it was late, uh, yesterday late afternoon, early evening, I turned on all the music for this morning. I went to our YouTube channel. I started playing. And if anyone was watching me in my car, I was singing out loud. I was just singing it out. I was, turn your eyes upon Jesus, sing all through my car. I am sure that it, was, it sounded probably like a beautiful concert to me. It was nice and loud. I'm sure that if you took the music away and listened to me singing, it might not have sounded like a lovely sound. But for me, the Lord met me as I thought about these songs we've been singing, this king that we've been worshiping, this life we're surrendering, this Christ we're turning to. And then when we come to the end of this service, this cornerstone that we're standing on, the most important priority of our lives, Jesus. I invite you today to look with me to one of those places in the Gospels that presents itself to us. As we've been looking through these Gospel passages associated with the devotional sacred invitations, we land upon one in Mark chapter 8 today that I pray will read us as we read it. And I find myself challenged with a question that arises out of the context of this text and the text itself. And I think it's a question I want to share with you, and perhaps it's a question you're going to be answering by the time we're done this morning. And the question is simply this. Am I more influenced by God's abundance of grace in my life and in my world, or by the world's scarcity mentality. So I invite you to look to Mark chapter 8 and kind of mark that spot for a moment. In 2019, there was a new word that was inserted into the English dictionary, officially asserted, inserted into the English dictionary for the first time. And, and, and that word was the word influencer. Influencer. Uh, the official definition of the word influencer is this, one who exerts influence, a person who inspires or guides the actions of others, and that makes sense, but here is the reason why that word was officially placed into the English dictionary. A person who is able to generate interest in something, such as a consumer product, by posting about it on social media. That's the, the impetus for inserting this into the English dictionary in the 21st century, this, this idea of a social media influencer. Now, this is not just some famous person who would be a spokesperson on TV. That's kind of really old school. But this can even be an ordinary, everyday person who through social media promotes a product to their circle of influences. There are all these different levels of this social influencer. There's, there's that, 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 that um, a micro person, the person, that everyday person. And, and then there's that nano person, that person who just influences this very small group. And then there's that macro influencer of fame who influences this very large group. But it could be this everyday person who, through social media, promotes a product to their circle of influence. 
Now that doesn't sound like a big deal perhaps to us, but that has become an incredibly broad, big industry. A five to ten billion dollar industry. As I thought about that, it dawns on me. I know that this is already common sense to us. But we are all being influenced by someone or something. And we need to ask ourselves the question, who is my influencer? Who is your influencer? What is my influencer? What is yours? And and the question that follows that as a result of who my influencer is, is this. What kind of influencer am I? What kind of influencer in my world am I? Well, Jesus is back at it. Um, Jesus is back on the other side of the lake, the wrong side of the lake, the eastern shore of the Galilee Lake, the place where he should not go. He's back at it. And there we see, just prior to our passage a little bit, Jesus just fed 4,000 people. It's the second time he performed a miracle of this type. The first time he fed 5,000 people. Now imagine being present for that. You Imagine you just could not go away without being impacted. But the picture that our text presents to us today is this picture in my mind of Jesus rubbing his forehead in frustration for people who don't get it, who just don't get it. And it makes me wonder... Does Jesus sometimes rub his head when he sees that I don't get it? That I just don't get it? Let's allow this passage to read us as we read it. This is the gospel for us today from Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, What does this generation ask? Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. They replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? This is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. As we begin to get at this passage today, we are not going to start at the beginning, we're going to start with those disciples. Jesus is rubbing 
his forehead. He's trying to help them see an essential truth and all they can think about is food. All they can think about is making sure that they will be taken care of in spite of the fact that they now have witnessed Jesus feeding 9,000 people. Aware of this, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Don't you remember? He then reminds them of the leftovers and He reminds them that there was abundance. There was overflowing abundance for them. Just imagine these disciples. I bet when they answered Jesus, when he reminded them of the leftovers, my guess is they maybe hung their heads a little bit. They were sheepish in their replies. Yep, we remember 12 baskets left over. Yep, seven. Now, the issues of food and bread and the earthly provisions needed are important, and nowhere does Jesus ever minimize that. So why is he frustrated? Well, they were concerned about having enough bread, yet they had been eyewitnesses to the abundance of God, to the abundant grace of God. Jesus wants them to see and live out of the abundance of of grace that God gives, the abundance that is found in Jesus. But you see, they see something else. They are influenced with a vision of the world and life that focuses on scarcity with a preoccupation of having enough for themselves. Jess Mindorf writes today in the devotional we're sharing together, how very like us, Even when we have seen God at work, when we get back to the workplace, the home, or on social media, media, our memory fails us. Our fears arise and our scarcity mentality takes over. Our memory fails us. We forget to name the places of God's abundant grace to us. He goes on and he says, it sounds like this. We are not enough. We don't have enough of what is needed. There is too much going on in our broken world for us to feel safe and secure. The disciples are afraid. We can become afraid. This scarcity mindset is rooted in the fear that they will not have enough, that they will be left out, that they won't get theirs. The passage doesn't state it this way, but this is where the disciples' minds are. You see, they lived with an understanding of a scarcity of grace. You know, one iteration of that in our world today has a name. It is the name consumerism. Now, as I said, Jesus understands the need for us to consume goods and resources that we need. There's, that's part of life. That's part of the way we're created. But the idea here is that of increasing our consumption more and more in hopes that it will fulfill us. Prioritizing getting more, more being defined by that. Prioritizing the wants we have over the needs we have. This idea even impacts the way we play out our faith, where our faith, the focus of our faith becomes how it benefits me, how it's going to fulfill me. What do I get out of it? 
Am I being fed by that sermon? Is this worship music appealing to me? Does this make me feel better? Is it doing something for me? You see, I think all of this begs the question for me. It begs the question, do I live with a scarcity mindset in my relationship with God? Do I live with the fear that he will not be enough for the details of my life? And so do I live with the idea that I need to look out for myself first? Do I, do I live in fear that I will not have enough? Do I live with suspicion of others taking from me what I have? Or do I live differently because God's kingdom has an alternative view? The Apostle Paul describes it in Romans 14 this way, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those are code words for grace. Righteousness, peace, joy. Think about all that we have in God. I want to invite us to name the abundant grace of God to our lives. The forgiveness of sins. The presence of the living Christ with us day in and day out. Life everlasting. The reality that we get to join God in his mission in the world. The abundance of grace in our lives. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Do I live differently because of an alternative view? Paul puts it this way to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. Because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. It's this picture of abundance of God's grace to us. What happens though? What happens when I recognize that God comes to me with his abundant grace, that God's been pouring out his grace into my life and I live out of that grace? What kind of people do we become because of that? We'll come back to that. Let's start at the beginning of the passage. Now my guess is the disciples likely overheard the conversation Jesus had with the Pharisees. And if you look at verse 11, there's only one way to describe this group. This, this is a religious hit squad, is what this is. They are literally waiting on the other side of the shore. Jesus is leaving the east side, he's going now to the west side, and they are literally waiting there for him. No doubt they, they must be aware of what's been happening. They ask him for a sign from heaven. Remember that. They ask for a sign from heaven. And this passage says so much. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. It's interesting, isn't it? They ask for a sign from Jesus, but they refuse, they refuse to acknowledge the 4,000 he just miraculously fed. Now, surely they had heard about that. My suspicion is that's probably why they're waiting for him on the right side of the lake. But you see, I think this is the problem. It was not the type of sign that they wanted. This phrase, sign from heaven, some scholars suggest they're asking for a specific type of sign. 
a sign from heaven that would come and destroy the enemies of Israel and affirm the power and the position and the perspective of the Pharisees. They wanted a display of power that destroys their enemies and upholds their power. And that's the rub. There's the rub. The 4,000 that were just fed, they were mainly Gentiles. That was in Gentile territory where that happened. They were the people the Pharisees saw as the enemy to be destroyed. This was not the sign that they wanted. They wanted a sign from heaven reserved for them. You see, they lived with a scarcity mindset. They were influenced with the vision of the world and life that focused on on scarcity as well. They lived with a scarcity of grace for others. The disciples lived with a scarcity of grace for themselves, and the Pharisees lived with a scarcity of grace for others. Give us a sign, Jesus. Give us the sign we want. Give us the sign that realizes the vision of Messiah that we want, one of exclusive power. But we'll come back to that as well. As we see, as we go through this passage as we move with Jesus through it we realize that he's trying to move this discussion in a whole different place he's trying to move the whole conversation in another direction especially with the disciples and this provides for him a teachable moment and that is verse 15 be careful Jesus warned them watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of heaven now I must confess to you I love bread. I love bread. I love bread too much. I love bread. It's one of those foods that I just can't get enough of. Now, Kathleen um, has shifted us to more healthy types of bread, which is probably a really good thing. But there is nothing like a big piece of fresh baked bread covered in butter. Nothing like it. (laughs) Jamie just said, stop it. (laughs) I'm with you, brother. I think when I go home, I'm making some toast. I think that's the plan. But as I'm eating it, I rarely think of the one ingredient in some ways that makes it so good. You know, that ingredient that creates those little crevices and air pockets that soak up all the butter. All I'm thinking about is the taste of that butter, quite frankly. But I'm not thinking about the yeast. I do not see the yeast that has been used to make that bread, but I do see the way the yeast is an influencer on that bread. And that is why Jesus asks about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Yeast is about influence. But this yeast that Jesus is referring to is actually literally called leaven. And it was made up of dough from a previous baking that was left to ferment. It's probably more like our sourdough bread. But the problem was that if you didn't manage that leaven properly, it could become toxic. It could make you sick. It gets sour. You see, to the Jewish way of thinking, the idea of leaven was a symbol of evil. It was a symbol of our sour influence, is what they're saying. The sour influence of the leaven. 
So Jesus is asking a specific question behind his words, I believe. He is asking, what will influence you more, the abundant grace of God or the scarcity, sour mindset of the world? The Pharisees and Herod represent that mindset, that sour mindset. But here's a problem for me. What possibly is the common denominator between these religious leaders and this brutal government ruler? What's the common denominator? Really, actually, they are like polar opposites in many respects. What's the common denominator? Well, this is the common denominator. They both had a desire for control and power, specifically at the exclusion of, the expense of, the exploitation of other people. Power, control, even at the exclusion of Jesus. You see, Pharisee and Herod, Herod, well, they're influenced with a vision of the world and life that focuses on scarcity, which leads to control and the consolidation of power. Is that what will influence me as well? I mean, we don't think in those terms for us, perhaps. We don't think of ourselves as being powerful people. But we all have power. Jamin Goggin and Kyle Strobel write these words. At times we seek control, dominance, and success instead of love. We still feel the pull to walk the easy way of the world and reject the way of Jesus which is the way of love, which was the way of that abundant grace. You see, that's what Jesus, I think, is trying to help his followers see, that the way of Jesus and what he values is positioned against the values and the ways of the world. And that the way of Jesus is the way of abundance in God's grace to us in Jesus and through us because of Jesus, that We receive this amazing grace from Jesus Christ. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. We look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, this abundance to us, but then the abundant grace through us because of Jesus. Jesus is the very sustenance of life. For whoever comes. His provision of grace is generous. Remember the way John describes Jesus in the Gospel of John? The Passion Translation captures chapter 1 verse 16 this way. And from the overflow of his fullness we received grace heaped upon more grace. It's this picture of Jesus himself being grace piled on top of grace. Just this big pile of grace given to us. And so a question of honest reflection that this passage challenges me with is this, and perhaps it challenges you too. Jeff, is it the generous and abundant grace of God that is influencing you or the scarcity thinking of the ways and the values of the world? And if I'm really honest, I'd have to say that there are times when I allow the scarcity thinking of my world to eclipse this vision 
of the abundant grace of God. What about you? Is it the yeast of God's kingdom that is working under the surface of my life or the yeast of scarcity that wants control and power? Yeast is about what it is that is happening in the unseen that leads to what is seen. Yeast is about what we are becoming because of what we are giving weight to in the places where no one else sees. That's one reason why discipleship is so important. That's one reason why being in the word of God is so important. That's one reason why finding community to learn together in Christ is so important. Forms and shapes who we are where no one else sees. In Matthew 13, Jesus is really trying to make this same point. In verse 33, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, and a woman took and mixed into it about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The way of Jesus is to make its way into every area of life. Not one area of life is to be remaining untouched by this influence of the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is not intended to live on the surface. Never was, never will be. And because of that, I need to ask the question, what influence is working under the surface of my life? What are the influencers? Who are the influencers? What in my world is influencing perhaps more than the influence of Jesus? Is it consumerism? Is it materialism? Is it individualism? Is it nationalism? Is it my own personal economic prosperity and material comfort? Is it some political platform or authority or politician? Is it social media? Is it news media? Is it entertainment media? Is it the allure of the celebrity? Is it those places of my own insecurities? My own fears? My own brokenness that all eclipse this generosity of the grace of God in my life? Is it the yeast of the Pharisees in Herod where I, I want to control it? Especially the things I'm afraid of, I want to control it. Or I want to fix it. What is it? Or is it the kingdom of God? The way of God's abundant, expansive grace. And I know many people in our congregation who just live into the abundant grace of God. Who live out of the abundant grace of God. Who live from the generosity of God and a generosity with God. Generous with God to the world. This grace that is poured out to us and this grace that is held out to all through us. I think Paul the Apostle captures this to the Corinthians as well, in, or to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 2 when he says, And God raised us up with Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. God raises us up. We live with the living Christ in order that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. 
we get to be the people who live in and with the abundant grace of God, working its way through every area of our relationships, the way we treat those unlike us, the manner in which we use our resources, the things which we value most, the things which we celebrate. And when that happens, when that grace from Christ so impacts us, Tara Beth Leach is right when she says we become marked by love instead of fear, generosity instead of hoarding, and compassion instead of ignoring others. And she goes on. And she describes the people who live out of this abundance of grace. And there's a code word for those people. It's called church. And she says, imagine the witness of the church that looks more like Jesus and less like the political leaders of the day. Imagine the church that says you first instead of me first. Imagine a church that defies the cultural norms for the sake of others. Imagine a church that goes out of its way to care for the stranger in the ditch. Imagine a church that lays down its resources for the sake of the community. Imagine a church that exists not just for itself but for the world. Imagine a church that imitates Jesus looks like Jesus, and lives like Jesus. Imagine this church. And we could put our names in there, couldn't we? Imagine if Jeff said, you first instead of me first. Imagine if Jeff went out of his way to care for the stranger in the ditch. Imagine if Jeff lays down his resources for the sake of others. Imagine if Jeff exists not just for himself, but for the sake of the world, for Christ. Imagine if Jeff imitates Jesus and Jeff looks like Jesus and Jeff lives like Jesus. Imagine, imagine this kind of Jeff. You can put your name in there too. You see, that's a portrait of the people who are living out of the generosity of God's grace. And when that abundant grace is the influencer, we too will be influencers in our world revealing to a hungry world a world that's hungry for bread hungry for the bread of love and belonging and forgiveness and wholeness and meaning and salvation hungry for this Jesus who said I am the bread of life Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So today, can you hear the sacred invitation before us? That we are invited to live in the abundance grace of God through Christ to us. Can you join me in naming that grace in your life? What are the graces in your life? Can you join me in naming those graces? Spend some time today naming the abundant grace of God to your life. And then can we see that we are invited to be reflectors to the world of God's grace in us because of Christ? What an invitation that is. Now, I wonder if Jesus is asking me, is asking us now, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? I think we understand. So now, now is the time to go and be 
some yeast. Let us be the influencers. Thanks be to God. Amen. As I mentioned, the instrumentalists will be playing the song Cornerstone. One line in there says, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord. He is Lord of all. I don't know where it is today that this message has spoken to you or where it is today that you need the abundant, magnificent, incomparable grace of Jesus Christ. But this is what I do know. I do know that he can be that cornerstone of grace in your life and in my life. I want to invite you to join me in placing faith in Jesus. The one who is the bread of life. And as we place our faith in him and as we trust in him, may he flow out of us his abundant grace to our world. So may we go And may we go with Jesus as our influencer. And may we go. And may we be his influencers in the world. Because of grace received. Because of grace given. May his grace flow through us. Thanks be to God for the cornerstone of grace, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless.